Well, good morning, everyone. We are starting a new series entitled Imperfect People, and we're going to talk uh, about certain characters uh, in the scriptures, in the Bible, uh, particularly in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. We're going to talk about Abraham today. We're going to talk about Moses next week, David, and then Peter. And we're going to look at these individuals as well as look at a, just a thematic structure of the scriptures and talking about what imperfection means or, or what it doesn't and also talk about you know, our lives and does God expect perfection from us or does he want us to live a life that's surrendered to him. So how many of you guys are going for this, the Kansas City Chiefs? Give me a whoop, whoop. How many are you going for San Fran? Give me a, well, that's not many, what? That's not many, whoop, whoop. It's like one person here. Is that it? Is that it? How many of you are, are, are Eagles fans? Give me a whoop, whoop. Oh, there's a lot of Eagles fans. Oh, my gosh. Well, then you guys should be happy for, for Andy Reid. Randy Reed, hopefully he'll win his first Super Bowl today and uh, be able to put that on his Hall of Fame career as a coach. All right, well, good. There's a lot of woot woots out there. Okay, so now um, I want to talk, I want to share with you uh, today about a Abram or Abraham, and we're going to look at a an episode, a narrative in chapter 12, because in two times in his life that we see in the scriptures, he was caught lying, being dishonest. And chaos came from it. But the question is, do we focus on the fact that he lied or we focus on the fact that God is merciful and gracious and continues to carry us through just as Abram himself? Now, entitled this sermon, Lies Versus Truth. And I asked the question, is truth undervalued in our society? I read an article um, there's an article in October 2nd, 2018, Time Magazine, uh, which is entitled, Honesty Isn't Always the Best Policy in Relationships. Here's when experts say it might be better to lie. Now, there are five scenarios that he proposed where fibbing might be the best course of action. I'm just going to share a couple of them. One is this, if you have someone's best interest at heart, then it might be okay to be dishonest and lie. He's saying if you tell your partner he or she looks great before a date to boost his or her self-esteem, that's one thing. However, the expert says that by saying it just to get your loved one out the door because you're already late, he says is where your motive may veer into selfish territory. Now, number two is, he's one of them he said is, is there... If there's no time to change, then there's always a reason maybe you can lie or be dishonest. He says, your partner asks you how he or she looks right before walking on stage for, for a speaking event or inquires about what you think of a speech just prior to reaching the podium. <laughs> there might not be time, so he's saying if there's no time to change, just go with it and just, even if you don't think it's good, just say yes. And then... Right before a special occasion, for example, if you're, you hear your friend's company is expecting layoffs right before she's leaving for her wedding, should you tell her? Meaning, are you going to withhold information? Is withholding information lying or dishonest? And so some of these things, 
is it possible? Can we say, is truth undervalued in our society? Well, there's some funny commercials that we can look at that might be the case. Let's look at this one. Uh, excuse me, is there a problem here? You're in a no parking zone. Oh, I, I didn't know. You didn't see the sign? Uh, that, that wasn't there when I was here earlier. <laughs> really? You know, in Italy, they let you park anywhere. Have a good day, sir. With GEICO, the savings keep on going. Just like this sequel. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Now, there's something true about Italians. We do have large noses. Maybe even sometimes, in some cases, long noses. And in Italy, I don't know. Courtney says, is that true? I really don't know. I know the Carabinieri, they're more interested in more than just uh, parking tickets. Um, so they might be interested in knowing that that's not important to them. But... Um, see how they make fun of lying. You know, it's just a joke. Look at the world, even with commercials, we can kind of laugh about it a little bit. They bring light to it. If we look at it and think about lies versus truth, how are we as Christians supposed to look at that? Now, all fun and games, you know, that we say that, but they, they propose that, hey, it's not so bad after all. Do they undervalue truth in our society. But what is a half-truth? Well, half-truth is a statement that conveys only part of a truth, especially one used deliberately in order to deceive someone. So I just wanted to give you another commercial oh, here, hi, Pinocchio, Samantha. since I like Pinocchio. You look more like a Heather. Do you ever get that? It's nice to finally meet you in person. Your Pinocchio? Oh, the pick? That was actually a professional headshot? Oh. I'm sure that's it. I, uh, I think I lost a few pounds recently, too. I'm actually doing a juice cleanse. Wait, you don't... <laughs> All right, well, that's not working too well for Pinocchio either. And, and see, the idea is that we laugh, we have fun, it's good. I mean, you know, I laugh at some of these commercials as well. But what is, what is a half-truth, and what, how do we look at, like, look at that in our society? Well, let me give you some marketing on how a half-truth may look like. Here's an example. If I were to give you a picture of this, which it is online, envision a Hershey's syrup container where it states in big bold letters with asterisks there, calcium. And then you look below at the ingredients and the percentages, and then it has calcium, zero percent. <laughs> so now they say there's calcium in it, but there really isn't. Then you have a Snickers bar. It's two times the bar. But when you open up the package, there's smaller bars, and it's when you compare it to the original bar, it's just a little bit bigger. So you have that problem. Then you have Crest mouthwash, 24-hour protection. Promise you got to do it twice a day at least, it says. So it's not just once. It's not gargle once, gargle twice, gargle three times a lady. So the thing is, is that you have that. And then you have Lay's sour cream chips. You got the bigger, the new bigger size that's smaller than the original size. When you put them side to side, it's like, what? So it's like, you see, and then to top it all off, the creme a la creme, you have Hyatt Hotel near the Capitol. Now, the Hyatt Hotel, they show on the brochure this romantic lighting, and they place the Capitol really close to the hotel. Now, someone knows where that's located, but really it's not. I mean, they make it look like it's just maybe a 1,000 feet away, maybe a 100 yards away or whatever. But when the reality picture shows, it looks like maybe four-tenths of a mile. I'm guessing, I don't know, but it looks much farther away. 
And what they do is they try to bring you in. It's a half-truth. All of it is, is truth in halfway because some of it is false advertisement. And so those what we look at when we look at in our society is half-truths. And so when we're looking at the scriptures and we understand ourselves in society, we recognize that imperfections, there are imperfections in our society. We must never forget our imperfections as believers in Christ. What we must always keep in mind as we read the scripture is the Lord used many men and women before us that were imperfect people. As our present society strive to be excellent, covering up their insecurities, inadequacies, and inabilities to succeed on their own, their pursuit of excellence can be supported and aided by lies, innuendos, and discrepancies. Celebrities hire image consultants to make themselves appear better than they really are in magazines, internet, and billboards, and all of the such. They have been enculturated with a deceptive lifestyle, which has resulted in their understanding as truth, that is subjective truth. See, subjective truth is a truth based off a person's perspective, feelings, or opinions. Everything we know is based off of our input our senses, our perception. However, as Christians, the ultimate boundary is the objective truth of God. Yes, we know all truth is God's truth, yet our primary standard is the written word of God. Our authority is the word of God. God is truth. So we have to keep that in mind. So God is offering his promise to Abram in, Je in Genesis chapter 12, which I'd encourage you to open up if you have your Bibles with you. And it reads this, now the Lord said to Abram, go for your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him to who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth and all peoples will be blessed. See, what God was offering to Abram and sharing with him is this Abrahamic covenant, the unconditional covenant of God, where there's land, there's nation, and there's people. We believe there's a future land for the people of Israel, but the nation of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, and the people are all the Gentiles offered through Christ Jesus, and that the people of God who come to faith in Jesus Christ will come to understand and know the true love that God has to offer us, the unconditional love that he has to offer to us through his son today. And see, Abram, he traveled, traveled over, if you would think of the Chaldees to, to Haran and then Haran down into the land of Canaan, he traveled up to 2,000 miles because God told him to go and he went. And even as a one who newly trusted in, Christ, in God, in the God of Israel, he believed God, took him and his whole family, everything with him to believe God. And see, he, he received this blessing of God and followed the Lord faithfully to his call. And in this part of the narrative we understand now, he's just received this calling. But now he, there's a famine that's come upon him. And it wasn't uncommon to receive famines. Even in the time of Genesis, if you look throughout the book, there were times throughout in Genesis 26 and 41, there were famines in the land. And so what happened was they had to go and travel. Here he was, chosen of God to carry the seed with Sarai, his wife, but he had to stay alive. And so he had to get 
all of his family and travel again another four or 500 miles just to stay alive. So he picks up his family and they go. Now as we look at, I want to turn to chapter 12 of Genesis and verse 10. We're going to look there specifically in this narrative. And as we do, um, we have to understand that he's about to travel down to Egypt. But what we're going to find out is that Abram had a scheme and a plan. And his plan was to lie and be dishonest in order to keep himself alive. And in his mind, he wanted to keep his wife alive and his family alive, but especially his wife. And the custom in the land of Egypt with the pharaohs that if he saw a beautiful woman, especially a wife, he would have the husband killed and he would take the wife to join his harem. So Abram knew this and he chose to be dishonest about it. But here he just trusted in God to travel 2,000 miles and now all of a sudden he decided to lie. Now, we're not going to focus only on the lie here, but we're going to focus on the unconditional love of God because he's imperfect and we're imperfect and we can't always focus on what we often do. But what is the outcome of Abram's dishonesty? How do we see in this narrative what could happen in the case of being dishonest? Well, I just want to encourage you as you look at your outlines and as you see that, he lost control. He lost control. In his attempt to be in control, he lost control. Let's look with me to Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 16 as I read it to you. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is your wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered into Egypt, The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And as for her sake, he dwelt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camel. Maybe he he could create now a livestock. He could have servants. He becomes rich. Now, in his attempt to try to save his own life, he was fearful of the outcome. How often do we lie because of the outcome? How often do we tell a white lie or mistruth because we're afraid of something going to happen? What happens when we know if we tell our wives something, if we tell them the truth, they're going to give us a lecture? Or how come if a wife is afraid of being lectured or even being verbally abused, she'll just tell a lie just to get out of that abuse? How many happens that when a child is trying to get something, they go to the mom, then to the dad, then the mom, then the dad, until they get what they want. They'll even lie a little bit just so they can go out and be with a friend. How many times have we in our lives done that? We've done it. 
We've done it often. How often do we find ourselves in situations when we either lie about our tests, we lie about things so we don't want our parents to know? I mean, you know, when I was young and my parents didn't understand, they only went to third or fourth grade. I've told you this before. If I had an F and they saw an F, I'd say, fantastico. You know, it was beautiful. And so, you know, I would say, you know, mom, dad, it's great. They couldn't even buy that. But the idea was that I was trying to withhold, keep from them the anguish and the pain of knowing their son wasn't very good in his academics as a young person. Or when I was in my senior year and I convinced my Italian teacher, let me skip the last two semesters and I'll be good. And I had to work out a negotiation with him. Now, this was before Christ, but we all do it. We all work out some kind of scheme or plan. Or when we keep something from our bosses, we keep something from our loved ones. We even keep something from our children, afraid that if we tell them, they may look at us differently. He was afraid. He was afraid for his own life. He was afraid, and he used his wife in order to save his own life. And see, what blows my mind in all of this is that he lost control. He lost control because he lied. And when you and I, when we can lie, we cover up. Just like here, he's covering up. But this is what's canny here. Here he was trying to save his life because he knew his wife's life was going to be saved. But he never thought, because when we fear, we're paralyzed. We don't think through things well. So what he didn't think through well was that he was thinking, wait a minute. Now, if I expose her to be my sister, the Pharaoh could take her and then she could be in his, in his, in his harem. And then I will never be able to have my wife again. And now all of a sudden he lies, he's dishonest, and now he potentially promotes divorce and adultery. Because now Pharaoh's taking over his wife and he's trying to hide it that it's his wife. And he's trying to do it to save his own life. So here he is lying and being dishonest and now it's covering everything up and he continues to sin. I don't know about you, but that's not worth the exchange. You know, I often hear in the world when I was growing up, oh, I'd do anything to get rid of my wife. She's a ball and chain. She's a pain. It's the saddest thing a man could ever say about his wife. But at the same time, we could laugh about it. It's in shows. We watch shows where they talk like that. And we make light of it. But can you imagine if you're a spouse and you hear that? I know if my wife said that to me, it would kill me. I would laugh, ha, 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 ha. But deep down, I'm like, does she really want to get rid of me? Does she want someone else? Am I that much of a pain that she doesn't want me around anymore? I mean, some of that can happen because we lose control. Because fear overtakes us. And we're consumed. And it's the half-truth. It's deceptive. Jesus would tell demons to be quiet because they spoke half-truths. Paul would often speak against the false teacher because he was speaking half-truths. The word of God is truth. We are not to represent anything of a half-truth. A lie is a lie and truth is truth. We can't defend a lie. We call it a lie. We should defend the truth because the Bible says to do that, but we are doing that. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying, okay, wait a minute. You're supposed to live this righteous life. You always tell the truth. You're supposed to live by the truth. Here's what I'm saying. We got to be honest. Let's not try to be subjective here. A lie is a lie and truth is truth. And we can't say that even with Abram, no matter if his intentions or not. Because sometimes we can judge ourselves on our intentions, judge others on their actions. I think that's what's happening here. And this is what happens often when 
we see with Abraham's life the dishonesty that occurs. Two, he created chaos. I mean, we think about it. When we think about truth in our society, how they undervalue it, they make it a, a fun. It's comical. It's a, it's, a, it's a comedy in every way. We see all these shows and these movies. I don't know if you remember. Some of you are a little bit older. Bueller's Day Off and how funny that movie was throughout it. But he lied through the whole thing. And he was just mischievous and all that. He was just doing all this stuff. And yet, we see that. Well, there's another storyline that I saw um, a Disney movie uh, years ago with my children. I, I thought it was funny. I mean, it's not something we should take light of, but I want to show you how the world looks at this. And it's entitled Big Fat Liar. And um, this young boy who just continues to lie throughout the movie, and then he meets a movie, uh, movie director, and he's just as good as a liar or even worse. And they're kind of combating throughout the whole movie. But here's just an episode of showing you how we make light of lying. Excuses? I just want to hear your assignments read aloud in a slow and peaceful tone. You, Josh, go. Uh, my dog ate it? I know you don't have a dog. Right, sorry. Miss Caldwell? Yes, Kaylee? Can you uh, open the door? It's kind of toasty in here. I suppose so. Jason Shepard, did you just come in from that window? No, you looked a little flushed. I was just creating your cross draft. Well, now that we're all comfortable, why don't you read us your story? You know what, let's give someone else a chance. No, I think we'd all like to hear yours. You did do it, didn't you? Miss <laughs> Caldwell, can I call you Phyllis? No. Understood. But as much as I wanted to write my paper, I mean, I really, really wanted to write my paper. I couldn't. And it's because I spent all last night in the Greenbury General Emergency Room. See, my mom made Swedish meatballs for dinner. It's my dad's favorite. And he was so excited, he accidentally swallowed one whole. It was awful. He started choking, his face turned purple, the meatball was literally bulging out of his neck. We rushed him to the ER. I kept trying to write my paper in the waiting room. But it was too hard. I needed to be by my father's side. After all, he's the only dad I got. You are lying through your teeth, you little demon. <laughs> I wish I were, Phyllis. Call my dad if you want. His number is 555-0147. I think I will. Crazy? You're totally gonna get busted. Say Harry Shepard's office. No way, don't drag me into this. Come on, help me out. What am I supposed to do? How about write the paper? Do it. No. Do it. No! Harry Shepard's office, one moment, please. Hello. Oh, hello. Miss Caldwell. Yes, it's true. It was terrifying. I started to see the white light. I was just about to cross over to the other side when I heard the voice of an angel calling out. And when I opened my eyes, I saw my sweet, sweet Jason standing over me. And I said, Back off, Grim Reaper. I ain't done living yet. And with every ounce of gas I had left in my body, I burped that meatball right across the room. And I owe it all to my son. I'm sorry, Miss Caldwell. I should stop talking now. My throat is still very sore. Thank you. Jason? 
I am so sorry. You just take your time here. All right, so that is about as ridiculous as a storyline gets. But you got to understand, here's why we're sharing that with you. If the young people and all of us are watching these movies, we start to take light of lying. We think it's cool. We think it's okay. In fact, it's promoted. It's promoted amongst teenagers. It's promoted amongst adults. It's promoted on, hey, when we lie, we look cool. Hey, everybody looks up to us. In fact, let's lie. Let's cheat. Let's do everything we can because we make light of it. We think it's all right. It's not going to cause any chaos. It's just fun. We shut the TV off and everything's fun. We can lie a little bit. It's a cool thing. But we forget that lying can destroy lives. We even see in this passage, when we're looking at this passage with Abram, it's not like that. It's the opposite of that. In fact, as we see in ten, verses 10 through 16, two are, are silent there. One is Sarai. We don't hear anything from her. And two, we don't hear anything from the Lord Yahweh. But we do hear from him in verse 17. It says, but the Lord. See, the Lord, he intervenes now. The Lord is intervening and he's saying, wait a minute now. I'm going to intervene here because my promise is on the line. I've made a promise, and Sarai is important here. She's going to carry the seed. Abraham has been deceptive. He's being a dishonest person. He's lying. He's covering it up. He's promoting divorce here. He's promoting adultery. I've got to step in now. So the Lord intervenes, and he afflicts Pharaoh and his household with great plagues because of Sarai and Abraham's wife. So he's inflicting great plagues, diseases upon their family. They're dying, similar to what we will see forward thinking in Exodus. And so people are dying because of his dishonesty and lying. So we can't take light of this. And see, here he is being caught because God has to intervene. How often do we see that in our lives? We understand that we're imperfect. We understand that it's not our righteousness that keeps our position with the Lord. It's the Lord's unconditional love for us that keeps us walking with him. It's when he intervenes because you and I, we're imperfect. We're going to sin. We're going to fall. We're going we're to do unintentionally or intentionally, and God still carries his word across. He's not going to allow this to stop what he promised already because it's an unconditional covenant. But here's the problem. It doesn't mean he gets away with it. It doesn't mean as though he can go forward and get away with it. Because here we understand too, the outcome of Abram's dishonesty leads to the fact that he lost credibility. He lost credibility with Egypt and with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, an immoral man, takes women and adds them to his harem for his own pleasure. Even he has to stand out and call Abram out. Abram is chosen of God to represent him, to reveal his character, to reflect his glory, and to represent him to a foreign land. He goes 500 miles to stay alive, and here he leads a life of dishonesty. And now we see that Pharaoh has to call him out. So he loses all credibility. So for us, how often do we as Christians, I have heard this, and being said, and it saddens me, that when I hear someone say, you know what, I would rather not deal with a Christian. I'd rather deal with someone who's not a Christian in business 
in any kind of situation. Why? Because you and I have the opportunity to show the light of Christ by living by the truth and being different, just as I mentioned last week about being compassionate, and we miss the mark sometimes. And even though we're imperfect, doesn't give us an excuse to stand up for what is right. And see, here he was, he failed, lost credibility. Thankfully, God intervenes and saves us even from ourselves. But the idea is that by losing credibility, here's what Pharaoh says. He offers these questions. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I look, I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. So here God calls him, he goes, travels all this way, over 2,000 miles, to represent God, chosen to, to move his seed forward, and an immoral man, an immoral nation has to call him out. Sad. It's sad. He loses all credibility, but thankfully God intervenes. That's the beauty of God. Because we fail so often, yet God is merciful and gracious. That's what we need today. We need to know that God is merciful and gracious, that we are to be a light to those around us. And what could it be if we could come together and make that difference? But God had to save Abram because of his covenant. And that's the beauty of God. But he will do one more thing. Because of this outcome, he's going to receive consequences. He received consequences. Look with me right now to Genesis. He receives consequences because when someone lies or is dishonest, it's not as though that pattern doesn't stick around. And see, that's the, the problem sometimes. We walk into a pattern of life and we come out. And he's, he's a new person who's trusted in the God of Israel and he's learning. But now God takes him on this journey, the beauty of God and his grace. Now look with me to Genesis 15, 1 through 5. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house and Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Please, behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. But here's the Lord, but behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall be your heir, not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and the number of stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall be your offspring. And so we see that that's an offer. In fact, in the Old Testament, verse 6 is known as an Old Testament soteriological pass or, or verse that we use. And what that means is in the Old Testament, we know in the New Testament is by, for grace, by grace through faith in Christ. In the Old Testament is by grace through faith in, in the God of Israel or is Yahweh. And Jesus is curious, Yahweh, Septuagint, brings them together. And as you see a thematic structure in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is calling out. And it says in verse 6, of 15, he believed the Lord, 
and it accounted it to him as righteousness. We see this in Romans chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He believed and it was accounted to him righteousness. He, at that point, became one who was saved and understanding, saved from his sin because he believed in the God of Israel. And now God gives him a righteous standing. Nothing he did, but only that God gave him. Even after all this episode, God still gave him that. That's the beauty of God. But yet the consequences continue because in Genesis 16, we see that now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him to no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when he saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Look back. She's the one who said, go to my servant and be with her to carry on this seed. And what did Abram do? He listened to her. He shouldn't have. But he listened to Sarai. He didn't lead well. It led to dysfunctionality and chaos. And it was a pattern that followed. And here we see this. Now she returns and blames him for what she proposed. And she's right in saying that because he didn't follow. He didn't follow God in being a leader in his home. And it goes on to say this. That at the end, she looked on me with contempt. He said, may the Lord judge between you and me. See, that's what this dishonesty did. That was the outcome of it. It led to chaos. But it also led to consequences and the loss of his credibility. See, God doesn't call us to that. God calls us to a life of honesty. Now, honesty means this. It doesn't mean perfection. It means I'm honest. I can't do it without God. I'm honest, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. I'm honest that I'm not able to do this, but I know God can. Honest in saying that we don't always have the power and the ability to do anything without God leading us. That's honesty, telling the truth. And when you're honest, you're not hiding anything. You're not covering it up. You're not trying. Because once you and I are dishonest, we have to cover it up over and over and over and over and over again. But, But being honest, we stop it right at its tracks and say no. We're not going to do this. And so here's the opposite of when we see we have an outcome of our honesty. The opposite is simply this. We give control to God. We give God that control. Unlike Abram who lost control. See, as Christians, the Lord has called us to be obedient to his truth. We understand that the gospel of John identifies the Father as truth, Jesus is truth, the Holy Spirit is truth, And thy word is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. See, when we understand about sanctification, we understand that we're set apart for a purpose. We're to yield our control to God. We allow allow God to lead in our lives. Unlike Abram, who attempted to gain control because of fear, he was dishonest. 
and lied only to lose control. So when we look at a scripture like John, this is what it says there. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, remain in my word, in my teaching, you are truly my disciples, my followers, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's not, it's intellectually knowing, but it's living by it. Meaning you can know something, but if it doesn't transform your life and your heart, then it's something you know. But when you have something in your mind that transforms your heart, then it transforms your lives, and then you live by the truth. It's not that you're just saying, I know the truth, you're living by the truth. And to live by the truth means that you're set free from your sin. You're set free from the lying and dishonesty. You come to honesty. Doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again. It means you're honest about your sin. That's the beauty of God. Because when we become honest, we realize that we fail. But that's okay. Because just as Tim said when he was singing this, before he sang the song, he goes, it's in our weakness. That's when we're strong. That's what even Paul the apostle made hard of. Secondly, we create a consensus with God and others. We create consensus with God and others. You know, in Ephesians 4.25, it says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, lies. The Greek is pseudo, lies. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is theology proper. It talks about God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Chapters 4 through 6 in Ephesians, it's practical theology. It's how we live it out. So we know the truth, and the truth will set us free. We know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And that's what happens. Even in this passage, we get it from Zechariah chapter 8, 16 and 17. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Because when we speak truth, it brings forth peace. When we're, we're dishonest, it creates chaos. And he goes on to say this, do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Lastly, we see this, we grow in character. We grow in character. So the outcome of our honesty is we give God control, we create consensus with God and others, and we grow in character. Let's go back to Abram. Abram returns back from Egypt, travels back in the area where he was prior to going to Egypt. He set up an altar, a place of worship to God in Genesis 12, 8. And now he returns to it. Look at verse 4. It says, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So he had this place, this altar, this place, this quiet place where he spent time. Scholars believe he went there to confess his sin and admitted that he stood up and stood up for himself before he did for his own wife. That he stood up for his own well-being rather than his wife. And then he knew that his dishonesty and his lying and even prom just promoting divorce and adultery, that he had to come clean. And see, that's what we do. We grow in character. God doesn't expect perfection. He expects honesty. And honesty says, I'm going to confess my sin and recognize I can't do this on my oath. That's when we're released. That's when we're set free. That's when we can walk in the newness of life. That's when we can walk in the truth. And people will see that difference. It's not about us, and it's not about what we do, but what is God doing through us that counts. And so he goes on, and when he had to deal with Lot, breaking up because there was a, a, a dispute between 
the herdsmen of Abraham, Abram's and Lot's livestock, they had this dispute with the herdsmen. We see that in the last part of this passage, Abraham changes and he says to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. Because he learned, he grew in character, he realized. And between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kingsmen. We're related, We're, you're my nephew. Is not the whole land before you separate, your, separate yourself from me? If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Meaning saying, it's not about me. It's not about my well-being. I'm going to choose you first. I wish he would have done that with Sarai, but he didn't. Now he learned from, his, from this particular situation and this narrative. And now he goes and he changes. There's a growth in character, a change in life. And see, that's what God calls us to do. See, the Lord is always calling us to stand for truth. Call a lie what is a lie and a truth what is truth. And when we do that, there are convictions. Everybody has one. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what your conviction is. If you're a good Baptist, the I in Baptist is individual soul liberty. So that's between you and God. But we must do as Christians is call what a lie is a lie and truth is truth. That draws that boundary line. And then if we think certain things are not lies or truths or whatever, that's between you and God. We turn back to the word of God. That's our authority. And when we turn to the word of God, then we find out that God wasn't really happy with Abram and his lie. Some would even say, well, he was doing it to save his life. God's like, no, I had to intervene because he was making a mess of it. And sometimes we do the same. See, God, he's always calling us to stand for his truth. We understand that because... His truth is what sets us free, the truth of the gospel. See, I, I love this. I, I, I don't know if I read this or something that was in my spirit, but I love that God calls us sinners because it's a direct position. It tells us where we're at, and it gives us an opportunity that he gives us that we can become saints. And I want to tell you, standing to the truth in Christ, we need that today. We desperately need that today in our walk with God. We need to stand to the truth. That's why he gave him the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And that's why he's called us. We are called to tell and live out the truth. We are called for that. We are called to tell and live out the truth. Second John 9, John wrote in many of his, all his gospel and his epistles, he wrote about sitting and abiding in the truth, the teaching of Christ, and walking in it. Look what he says here. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. That's relationship. It's relationship. It's not just about knowing about God, but it's a heart that's changed and being in relationship with God. That's what he's calling. And in 1 John 4... He says it even another way. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a pseudo. Anyone who speaks half-truths, Jesus would often say to the demon, shut up, because of the fact that they were speaking half-truths. They were liars. He said that, even Paul said it to the false teachers, because they spoke half-truths, but they were liars. It, it's either truth or lie. And he says, anyone who loves God and hates his brother is a liar. For he who does not love his brother 
whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's what God is calling each one of us. That's what the gospel is about, the truth. And the truth that can set us free. As we prepare for communion this morning, how we're reminded of the importance of Jesus Christ. How we're reminded of the sacrifice that he made on the cross. How we're reminded that he died in the place for sin. How we're reminded that he had to be a perfect sacrifice for sin because we're imperfect. The beauty of God. And that he had to receive 40 lashes to his body or even more, a brutal death. You know, Proverbs 17, 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. It was an abomination for Jesus, who was the innocent lamb, to be condemned. It's an abomination to justify the wicked. Isn't it beautiful to know that even though we are sinners considered evil and wicked, that we were not justified, but only justified because Jesus died on the cross for sin. See, God demands holiness, and Jesus met that demand. And he became a propitiation, the perfect sacrifice for sin, the substitutionary atonement. So he had to be perfect because we're not perfect. We're sinners. And now when God looks upon us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see us. So when we're justified, it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the righteousness of God through Christ. And when we're justified, we're justified. When he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light of his son, it was nothing we did. And guess what? It's nothing more that we do. How in the world could we ever think there's something we do now because we walk in Christ like God is all of a sudden interested in us saying wow now I've never seen that righteousness in you before wow Kevin that's really cool I'm going to count for your own righteousness no God doesn't do that he sees Jesus and that's the beauty of God because now as a sinner I can be declared righteous not made righteous because of him and I don't have to try to live up to any righteous standard I just surrender my life to him every day and die to self and take up my cross. And here's what Jesus, as the innocent lamb, was willing to do. There's a note here about flogging. A roaming flogging, it says, scourging was excruciating punishment. The victim was stripped off of his clothes, bound to a post with his hands fastened above him, or sometimes just thrown on the ground. Guards standing on either side of the victim would beat him with a whip made of leather and pieces of bones inserted in its ends. While the Jews only allowed 39 lashes, the Romans had no such limit. Many people who received such a beating died as a result. That's Jesus. Jesus was willing to die, be brutally beaten to a pulp for you and I. That's the beauty of the gospel. And what moves me is that I don't deserve it. But he says, I love you. I want a relationship with you. So what I love about the fact that God would receive me, because I've seen my sin before Christ. I have done many things before that. And I'm going to tell you, just alone on my record, I don't deserve anything. But even if I were considered good and did nothing wrong, I'm still as unrighteous as all the acts that I committed before Christ. Because morality doesn't cut it because I don't have any righteousness in and of myself. That's the gospel. That's why we're celebrating right now the communion with the bread and the cup. 
the body and the blood. There is the beauty of God, the body that was broken for you and I, the blood that was shed on, and for remission of sin so he can forgive us of our sin. But nothing I've done. If that's not grace upon grace, if not that the greatest act of love, I don't know any other love. And I love my wife. I prayed for her for four years. I prayed knowing God would bless me. But there's no greater love than Jesus. And as we prepare for this beautiful communion table, I pray that your heart would be open to confess your sin. But if you are here today and you don't know what this love is, this, this so-called gospel, you've never